You know, when I was about 20, well, not 25, when I was about five years old, which is about 20 odd years ago, <laughs> when I was about five years old, I remember thinking that the country that I live in is called Auckland. And, and it's enormous. Then I remember going to school, and then at school they had this globe, and then they pointed the country that we live in, and they said, the country is called New Zealand, and the little dot where we are is called Auckland. And I was going, what? You mean it's bigger? Where we live is even bigger than what I see? And then my mind got even more blown when I realized that New Zealand was filled up a small part of this globe. And in that moment, I became woke that this place is bigger than what I thought it was. Now, the reason I share that story is because sometimes it can be like what we think what the gospel message means. Because for many people, the gospel message is just what Jesus did for us on the cross, that he died for our sins, and that if we believe in Jesus and what in the work that he has done, that we will be saved and we will go to heaven. Okay? That's yes and no. Because the gospel message is so much more than just that. That's one part of it. But it's bigger. It's bigger than that. It's kind of like me finding out that, no, you know, I don't live in Auckland. I live in New Zealand. It's bigger than that. And also, the Bible does not tell us that we are going to heaven. It doesn't talk about us going to heaven. It talks about heaven and earth coming together. That's what it talks about. But the word gospel, where does it come from? The word gospel is a compound word, and it comes from the word good spell. Good spell. If you ask me, it's not actually good spelling because it's spelled G-O-D-S-P-E-L. You know, uh, but, but this is Old English, good spell, and it's, and it's spelled with one O. Uh, and that's a compound word, and, and good and spell, two words there. And of course, spell meaning message, story, or news. And that's the word good news. Good spell, gospel. So that's what it means. Gospel means good news. Now, that phrase, good news, is found in a New Testament Bible. It's the Greek word, euangelion. Euangelion. In fact, euangelion is also a compound word, you meaning good, and angelion meaning message or news. So euangelion means good news. So that's what it means, good news, euangelion, good news. But when we think of the word news, the word news is quite a common word for us, isn't it? Because when we think of news, it's, it's like the happenings of what's going on in our day and what's the six o'clock news or what's the good morning show. It's six o'clock, it's, you know, on the radio every half an hour, there's a bit of the news. But this word, euangelion, this good news, it's a, it's a word that wasn't used often in the ancient world. It wasn't used that often. It was, and when it was used, it was regarded as something important, something spectacular, because the only time Ewan Galeon was used was the announcement of a new king, that a new king reigns. There's a new king that's taking over. And so everybody stopped. Ewan Galeon, Ewan Galeon, which means there's a new king coming in place. So when we open up our Bibles, and whenever we see the word gospel or the word good news, it's a bold declaration that a new king reigns, that God still reigns. And so in fact, when you open up, uh, when you go to book of Mark chapter one, the gospel according to Mark, because the first four books in the New Testament are also known as the gospel. The gospel according to Mark, the gospel according to Matthew, gospel according to Luke, and then of course John. And it's this whole thing, and it's about the announcement of the king. The announcement of the kingdom of God is here. And it's the story, when you read the narrative of the Gospels, it's leading us to a point where we need to make a decision about Jesus, that Jesus is the King of Kings, that He is the Lord, the announcement that Jesus still reigns. And so Mark opens up his account in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. What does he say? 
the beginning of the good news, the beginning of the euangelion, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And straight out the bat, Mark is he's putting his, showing his cards. He's saying, Jesus is their king, and he reigns. He's declaring it right from the start. When you, so when, when the readers read this word euangelion, oh, this is a royal declaration. And he's saying, Jesus is this king. In fact, Jesus went on, he went on and also pronouncing um, the, the coming of God's kingdom. And we go on to verse 14. And in verse 14, it will say, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the euangelion, proclaiming the good news of God, saying, The time is fulfilled. The time is now. Everything that the law and the prophets have been pointed to, it is here. It is now. The time has been fulfilled. And the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the euangelion. Believe the good news, this declaration. So Jesus comes. And in his announcement, he declares himself as king. In fact, it was even more grander than that. Jesus was saying that he was the only one that will bring the kingdom of God to earth where, where, where heaven met earth, that he was the one that's bringing that. And he goes about and he, and he, and he invites a people to come together. He calls them together. He calls them the, the ecclesia, the called out group, the church. He calls the people to come and he invites them to be part of his kingdom. The church is not the kingdom of God, but the church declares the kingdom of God. And, and Jesus invites the church to come under his reign as part of, uh, within the kingdom of God. And then he calls his followers his disciples, the church, to go forth and begin to announce the good news, announce the euangelion, that there is a new king, the king, and God still reigns. He is still on the throne, and he reigns. This is what we've been called to do. So how, how do we do that? How do we begin to unpack all this, and how do we, how, you know, what does that look like in our life? And what that looks like is what Jesus did. In fact, Jesus lays this out for us in Matthew chapter 5, and he lays it out for us in chapter 5, and, um, and it's what we know as the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes, and if you, many in this room are familiar with that. If you're not, that's fine. We're going to go through the Beatitudes. This is, the Beatitudes is not a list of, of, of if I tick, tick off all the things in the Beatitudes, then, then I can get to heaven. It's not about getting to heaven. It's about heaven and earth coming heaven and earth coming together. But it's, a, it's about bringing, the, this is what, the Beatitudes is what it looks like when the kingdom of God is here on earth. When we bring, when we bring God's reign here on earth, when we begin to declare the announcement that, that, that God still reigns, that Jesus is king. And this is what it looks like. And he begins to lay it out in the Beatitudes. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. And it says, it says this, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, and this is very important to remember this, but he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And so what Matthew is alluding to, he's alluding to a, another great mountain that's found in the Old Testament when the, when the Old Covenant was given, when God called Moses. And Moses went up a mountain, and there Moses received the law of God. And these laws of God were to instruct the people on how they should live, to live in such a way that separates them from the rest of the nations around him. So now we have Jesus on a mountain. He's putting that, actually, this Jesus, he's greater and better than Moses. And just like Moses, when God gave Moses the laws to instruct the people, here's Jesus now instructing the church, his people, the, the ecclesia of what the kingdom of God looks like and how to walk out the kingdom of God here on earth. And he begins to instruct them. And he says this, he said, verse 3, 
Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And, and what it means by that, what, what it means to be poor in spirit, it means, it means you know what? It, it, it means that um, I'm going to be totally dependent on God. It's not about me. It's not about what, it's not, you know what, I'm going to do things my own way. But it's no, you know what, I'm, 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 I'm emptying myself up and, I'm, and I want to be poor in spirit so God, you can fill me with your spirit. So God, you know what, I, I am the clay and you are the, the potter. I was going to say the clay maker. <laughs> and you are the potter. You mold me in the way I should go. It's not arrogant. It's God, you use me. So what does it mean to, so what does it mean to be rich in spirit? To be rich in spirit means to be, you know what, I'm, I'm filled up with my own spirit, and therefore I don't need you, God. In fact, God can't pour anything in you because you're already filled of yourself, and, you know, and, and, we, and, and that's a dangerous place to be because we can end up in a place of self-righteousness where we can begin to look at everybody else, well, you know, look and point at everybody else's faults. Oh, well, you're not good enough. And you, and you can see this both in, within the church, sadly, and outside of the church. Everyone's pointing out faults. You know, like if you meet somebody in your workplace, you let them know that they find out you're a Christian, you do something wrong, what do they do? Oh, that's not what Christians are supposed to do. Like all of a sudden, the experts are what Christians should be, right? You would kind of find that like they're kind of pointing out all your faults. Or sometimes, sadly, within the church, some people are so filled with the self-righteousness, they begin to point out everybody else, well, you know, you should be doing this. Actually, oh, well, you're not good enough to be a Christian. You know, Christians should be doing that. But that's not what it's about. It's about being, being you know what, I'm poor, poor, I'm poor of spirit so God can fill me with his spirit. That, you know, God, you use me. I, I'm, just, I'm just the clay. You're the pot. And mold me in the way that you should go, that it's all about you, that I'm dependent upon you. And then he goes on. Um, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be com- comforted. They'll be comforted. And, and this is not talking about people, you know, sometimes we can, have you ever been in a pity party before? I've been in many pity parties. You know, I've just invited me, myself, and I. And, you know, we've had a pity party, and like, woe is me. Nobody, why does this always happen to me? You know, you ever been there before? Anyway, I heard this from someone else. Anyway, uh, you know, and, and it's not about that. It, but it's more about... People that I'm mourning that, you know, that, that I'm mourning for my community. I, I remember um, when I went back to South Auckland and I saw these young boys fighting in the streets. And I, and I mourned for, for Mangere. And I mourned. I said, you know, we shouldn't be fighting. The church, we, you know, we, when I said the church, I, 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 it's funny. As soon as I mentioned the church, I'm separate from that. You guys need to do this. Right? But, and then God spoke to them, no, we need to do something about it. I'm mourning that we need to bring, we, we need to be bringing the kingdom of God here on earth. You know, I'm mourning for people. You know, it is only through, through Jesus that, that we can bring transformation. And that's the kind of mourning that we talk on, mourning that change needs to happen. And so and that's what goes on. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And then we get to verse 5. It says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And quite often, we have this tendency to think that meekness is weakness. But it's not. It is, it is the opposite. Meekness is, is controlled strength. It's strength that is controlled. And it's kind of like a boxer who's well-trained. Well-trained, and, 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 and everything is calculated, and every hit, every defense is calculated. And that's, that's meekness, because it's strength that's controlled. Whereas strength that's uncontrolled is where we're just flailing our arms around like this, hoping something will connect. And quite often, it's nothing connecting, and, and only thing that connects is their fist to your face. Oh, this is boxing. I'm not talking about anything else. This is sports again. Don't get me wrong, okay? In, in the sport. 
And, 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 it's, and, it's, and, it's, and it's strength that's controlled. It's like, and so realizing that, you know what, I'm not going to look down on anybody unless I'm helping them up. I don't see myself more superior to you uh, of my great wisdom or my great whatever it is. No, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to serve you. I understand where I am in my strength and in, in, in my, my walk in God, but I'm not going to judge you. Well, you know, I'm the superior Christian. You look at you, you don't, you, you're not even tithing. Look at you, you're not even that. Actually, no, it's not about that. It's about loving people. It's, 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 it's about the kingdom of God is others' first kingdom. And, or when if I, I'm in a place of leadership, I'm not lording it over my, the people in my team. I'm the team leader. I'm the manager. You must listen to me. But no, I'm here to serve you. Uh, you know, I'm here to serve you. As the team leader, as the manager of my, my workplace, I'm here to serve you. You're not here to serve me. That's what meekness is. It's coming to serve. You know what? Leadership, there's only one form of leadership. It's servant leadership. And servant leadership is meekness. Is meekness. And then we go on, um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Those who thirst for justice. Those who, who thirst to, um, to, to be the person to, um, that, that, is that, that meets that need in our community. To be that people. If we see somebody in need, let us not pray for, oh, look, you know what, your need? I'm going to pray that you're fed this week when I've got food in my cupboard. Oh, you know what? You, 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 oh, you, got no, you, guys are, you haven't got in a jacket. Oh, pray for that God will provide for you when I've got a closet full of jackets. Yeah, and this, is what, this is what I mean. When we come across something, somebody, and I've got something, let me, let me be the person that, that reaches out there because we, when you see somebody in need, let's not walk past, let's be there. Let's, and this is what the Christian, this is what the early church was. It was crazy because you, you think about 2,000 years ago uh, in, in, in those times, you know, this is, this is the upside down kingdom. Like, you know what? It's all about like the strong. It's about the haves and have nots. If you don't have what we got, well, it's tough. It's your problem. You know, I'm looking after me. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes in, and all of a sudden, the church, they were looking after the poor. They were looking after, they were looking after the sick. This is where hospitals came from. This is where schools came from. It came because of, of people bringing the kingdom of God here on earth. We wouldn't have no schools if it wasn't for bringing the, heaven, the kingdom of God here on earth. We would have no hospitals if it wasn't for people bringing the kingdom of God here on earth. This is what the world, when we bring the kingdom of, of God, when we begin to walk these ways, we begin to see transformation in our communities, transformation in our world. Because it's not about individuals, but it's about us as a community. The Beatitudes. That's why it's, when you, when Jesus did it in such a way that's a plural, that meaning this is what our community looks like. This is what we look like as, as believers, as bringing heaven to earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. That's a tough one. That's kind of a tough one. I mean, we think about it this way. Like, so when you needed forgiveness, when you needed a hand up when everybody else was pushing you away, when you needed somebody to lift you out of your depression, lift you out of your need, God was there for you. When did, when did Jesus forgive you of your sins? When he was on the cross. When did he forgive you? Did he forgive you of your sins when you said, I'm sorry? He didn't wait till you said sorry. On the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he's not just talking about the people there, but right through the ages. Father, forgive them. See, Jesus died for you even before you said that you were sorry. He died for you anyway. So why is it that you're still waiting for apology from somebody before you can forgive them? 
What is it that you, oh, I can't forgive that person because you know, they wronged me? I'll forgive them once they say they're sorry. If you say you're sorry, then I'll forgive them. That's, that's what, what, the, what the kingdom of God looks like. It's saying that I'm going to forgive you. I'm not going to, even if you don't say sorry, I'm going to forgive you anyway. Because that's what Jesus did for you. He died for you anyway, even when you didn't say sorry, even when you're spitting in his face. He died for you anyway. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Praise God. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The pure in heart, without motives, no ulterior motives. But, you know, uh, uh, people... The pure in heart are the people that like that, that do something because it's the right thing to do, not because of what I look like before man. Well, I'm going to do this, but I'm only going to do this if, if it's what I can get out of this. You know, I'm only, oh, there's rubbish on the ground. Well, I'm not going to pick it up. Oh, these people, around, I'll pick it up to show them how good I am. But it's, it's, it's what we do in secret when no one else is around is what, what we call integrity, pure of heart. You know, um, it's about being a son and daughter of the house, son and daughter of God, rather than a servant. I had this young guy... Um, in youth group, and he was working a countdown. He, uh, he was, his job was to stack the shelves. And I was, trying to sh- I was sharing to him about what it's like to be in the kingdom of, of God. And, and, and I said to him, you know, if you walk to work, and as you, enter, as you get to work, and there's rubbish out at the entranceway of your work, will you pick up that rubbish? And he said, oh, no, I won't, I won't pick it up. I said, why not? Because it's not my job. I said, well, if the owner came, will the owner pick up the rubbish? And he said, oh, yeah, of course. Why? Because he's the owner. I said, well, this is what the kingdom of God like, is that we, are, that we have to have the owner mindset because we're sons and daughters of the living God, not as servants. It's like, I'm going to pick it up anyway because, because I'm, I'm before my father. I have no ulterior motives. It's before God. I do it because it's the right thing to do, not because of oh, what I can get out of it. Pure of heart. What are our motives? It's pure of heart. Lord, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to love you, love people, and, and love God. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. And I think it's really important for us as, as believers that first we've got to start within, with each other. You know, sometimes, you know, there can be so much disunity happening in church. Like, how are we supposed to bring peace out there when there's so much disunity here? Let's, let's continue to forgive one another. Let's continue to love one another. Let's continue to work for peace with one another. Let's begin to show mercy with one another. And this is what, 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 what the family of God what the kingdom of God looks like. And then, we, and then um, the second part of this is us bringing peace between humanity and God. We are the ambassadors of peace. That's who we are, the ambassadors of peace. You know, it's not our job to get... See, this is, you know, sometimes I see people on Facebook, right? Like Christians, they're doing this, this rant against all these people. And, and, it's, and I'm like, man, I don't feel peace coming from this. We're the ambassadors of peace. This, we, 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 you know, never look down on anybody unless you're helping them up. What I love about this, the Beatitudes, basically, you can sum up the Beatitudes in two, two ways. What is it? Love God, love people. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. This is what the gospel looks like. This is what living out the gospel looks like. This is what proclaiming the gospel looks like. Loving God. Loving people. The kingdom of God is other people, is other people first kingdom. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the eighth and final of the beatitude, if you want to put it in that kind of box. It's really interesting because here in New Zealand, 
We don't, as a, if you're a Christian, we don't have the type of persecutions we have like we do in another country. When me and Poro went over to China, we could feel the persecution there with, with the, all these um, underground churches and, and going out to Tibet, we can, and I can feel the spirit of fear. And when I was over there, I'm thinking to myself, I just want to go home to my children. You're like, I've heard too many stories of people disappearing, and like, I just want to go home. And the fear was there, and I'm thinking, wow, I'm definitely not called to China. Um, but you know what? And then I come here back home to New Zealand. And, and the greatest fear some of us Christians have is, is saying grace at McDonald's. I don't want to say grace at McDonald's. I don't want to have the persecution. You know, uh, let's just say grace for our eyes open. So it uh, looks like we're just talking. Thank you, Father, for the food. We, uh, we, but uh, for what I'm saying here is this. In New Zealand, there's a different type of persecution. What's really interesting is that, you know, you can go, uh, every other beliefs are respected. You ever notice this? In New Zealand, but Christianity. Oh, you know, we respect your belief here in the school, but don't you? But, uh, but you guys don't bring Jesus here. Oh, you know what? In, in Parliament, we respect all religions, but oh no, we, we're not going to use the name of Jesus in here. There's a different type of persecution in New Zealand. There's, um, uh, there's another spirit at work here trying to stop the proclamation of the gospel, the announcement that God is still king and he is still on the throne and his name is Jesus. You know what's really amazing when we begin to read these Beatitudes? Can you imagine what our communities will look like? When we begin to, to, to live out the Beatitudes as Jesus taught, as we begin to, to love people, love God, the transformation of our communities, uh, where we begin to love one another, where we're slow to judge and quick to forgive. When we continue to lift people up rather than push them down. Because, you know, Jesus, Jesus was merciful. Jesus was meek. Jesus thirst for righteousness. Jesus was poor in spirit, so not my will, but your will be done. Jesus was persecuted because of righteousness. This is what it looks like when we begin to live a life of the gospel, proclamation, a declaration. I declare that God is still king. And he's still on the throne, even within the darkness that's around me, even with all the chaos that's going on around me, that God is still king. You know, my, my younger brother, he's 25 years old today. When he was born, I was 19. I was 19. I was like, I did not expect to have a, a, a baby brother at 19. I was like, Mom, hey, come on, no surprises, please. Um, now, my, my, brother has, my brother has a different father to me. Now, what's really, what's kind of interesting is that uh, my brother's dad, he's got older children that are 19 years older to me. So now these kids are like in their late 30s, turning 40. They're even more surprised that their dad had another baby, you know, like what's going on here? Well, um, sadly for my, for my little brother, when he was five, his dad passed away, died of cancer. So I, I kind of, I took him under my wing and I, I began just to share to him about the love of Jesus, that Jesus loves you. God's plans for you are good and all these things when he was about nine years, years of age we moved to Hamilton and I was kind of worried about my brother what, what he would get up to and unfortunately during his teenage years he got into some real bad stuff and got mixed up in gangs got mixed up and uh, got in trouble with the police the only thing that stopped him from being arrested was the fact that he name dropped both my brother and my sister both police officers and that's the only reason he never got he never got arrested name dropped him and they weren't happy. Um, 
And so he was a real, he was a brawler. So of my brothers, I'm the smallest. I'm the, I'm the oldest, but the smallest. And, uh, but I'm still the strongest. But anyway, <laughs> they may argue against that, but they're too afraid to test it. No, just kidding. <laughs> anyway, anyway, uh, but you know, he's 25 years of age now. He's married. He's got three beautiful children. He's doing really well. And I'm like, praise God. Because there's a, you know, if you've got older kids, sometimes, or maybe you've got some kids and they're going through, down some, you're kind of worried. You know, just keep praying, trusting that God is with them. Well, anyway, um, last year, December, he rings me up, shocked me when he rung me, because my brother never calls me. My brother's very different to me. He doesn't talk. He's very quiet, uh, very different to me. I mean, I'm pretty quiet too at times. Anyway, anyway, he rings me up and he's like, oh man, I'm like, man, what's wrong? Did someone die? I mean, why are you calling me? What's going on? You know, don't tell me there's, there's issues between you and mum. You know, why do I have to be the one that always rings up? I'm the peacemaker in the family. And anyway, he's like, oh, you know, um, Ants, what's their prayer? What's their prayer to lead someone to know Jesus? I'm like, oh, sorry, what did you say? So I thought you said... And he repeated it. I was like, I was like, this is bizarre. I've never ever heard you talk about God before. And like, now you're ringing me up. And I said, what's going on? He said that his sister on his dad's side, she's in her 60s. She was diagnosed with cancer. She's dying of cancer. Basically, it's terminal. And he said that he went to go visit her a month ago when he found out. And he said to her, you know, he started talking to her about God. And she shut him down and said, don't you talk to me about God. I don't need God. I don't believe in God. His sister at that time just had a major stroke. He got a phone call saying that she hasn't got long to live. And he rings me up and goes, Ants, what's, what's their prayer? What's their prayer um, to lead someone to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior? And I'm still a bit like, I still kind of, I'm trying to get this thing in my head. So I said, look, I said, look, you know, it's, it's not about just the words we say, but it's a decision point. You need to make a decision. She needs to make a decision that Jesus is king. It has to be a decision. It's just not about to say these words and you're saved. It's a decision. She has to make a decision. Anyway, I Googled, because I was on a bit of rush. I couldn't be bothered writing it down. So I Googled a quick salvation prayer. Basically, what you can find on Google. So, oh, yeah, that's about right. And I, and I just copied, pasted, and I sent it to him. And anyway, anyway, that night, he calls me back. That's another miracle. He called me twice in one day. Yeah, and I was like, well, he hasn't called me since. But anyway, he goes, Ants. She said the prayer. She said the prayer. And I was going, whoa, what? what? Tell me what happened. So he tells me, they, they get to the hospital. They get to the hospital and um, the, the family's all around them. And because she's had the stroke, she can't talk. So she, he gets in and he, and he says to his sister, so he says, can I pray for you? She nods her head. Everybody else leaves the room because they, they're all atheists. They don't believe in God. They all leave the room. And now it's just my brother and his wife and his sister. And then, then he then she, he says to her, would you like to make a decision to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? That's what he says to her. And she nods her head. And then, then he's reading what I sent her. And he said, well, repeat after me as I pray this. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself, that's what I wrote. Repeat after me. I'm thinking, well, she just, they just told you that she can't speak. And you just told her to repeat after you. How is this going to work? She's got a stroke. You're telling her to repeat. And then this is what he says to me. She begins to repeat word for word and clarity. The clarity word for word. 
And I was going, oh my goodness, really? And he said, honestly, I wish the family were here to hear her speak. Because no one ever heard her speak again after that. A week later, she passed away. And at her funeral, on her funeral handout, were these poems that she had written. And these poems were about the love of God. The love that God is merciful. That God is loving. That the joy of the Lord is much. All these things are on this, this piece of paper. And I said, she was only a Christian for one week. How does she know all this stuff? All I know, she made a decision. For one whole week, God ministered to her. Ministered to her. For 60 years of her life, she did not know God. Blew me away. And this is what I realized something. Never underestimate the seeds, the gospel seed that you sow into someone's life. I had no idea that the seeds that I had sowed into my young brother's life, that God will continue to make it grow. I don't know how God did it, but he made it grow. Even through his troubled teenage years, he continued to make it grow right up to the point where he led his sister to know Jesus as her Lord and Savior. And the point of the story is this. You know, what does it mean to share the gospel? To announce that Jesus is Lord. It doesn't matter what your past looks like. It doesn't matter how much theology you know. It's nothing about eschatology, pneumology, and all the other ologies. None of those things. All you need to know is the love of God and the love that He had for His sister. So as you begin to live a life of the gospel, the Beatitudes, as you begin to announce the gospel, all you need to know is this, that God loves you. And He's called you to love the people around you. Because the kingdom of God is others, others first. Love God, love people. That's what the gospel looks like. And that's how we transform the world.